Hello, and welcome to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger. Our guest today is Christy Scarrow, a woman who wears many hats. She's a partner at the Canadian consulting firm Lighthouse Nine Group. She's an expert in organizational accountability, and she's the author of Truth Warriors, the battle to hear, be heard, and make decisions that count. Fortunately for us, the need to communicate effectively in difficult situations is a common thread across all of those aspects of Christie's life, and she shares just a huge amount of very practical advice on how to do that with supervisors, employees, and peers. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I will formally welcome you to What to Say When Things Get Tough. Thank you so much for joining us. My listeners know that I'm fascinated with ancestry and immigration, and so I like to begin all of my interviews by asking guests about what I'll call their origin stories. And you are, I think, the first Canadian guest I've had, so I'm particularly interested to know where your family came from and how they made their way to Canada. Yeah, no, I like the U.S. I noticed that on your podcast. So I am actually first generation Canadian. My Both my parents came over from Europe when they were four or five, so quite young. My dad from Italy and my mom from Scotland. So, so that's my background, obviously European, bringing those two together. And what I am excited by is the fact that I did have the opportunity to go back with both of them and kind of meet their families and where they grew up and, and their my grandparents and all the cousins and all of that stuff who are still out there. So that's kind of my, my main origin. And do you speak any Italian? I just know the swear words really. <laughs> so, so not, not so much. And I, I, I still, and I can understand the Scottish accent for the most part. My grandfather had a strong Scottish accent, not so much my mom. And my dad was a very good translator. So when we went to Italy, nobody, uh, nobody spoke English because they're all sort of these little small towns and he'd be the translator. But I got to pick up a little bit of it for sure. Your origin story is one that we could hear right here in the United States. I suppose the two countries are probably fairly similar in terms of where people come from, but certainly Italy and Scotland, although that can combination may be a little rarer. <laughs> yes, yes. Many people um, share those uh, ancestries here for sure. So to turn more to the topic at hand then and, and the professional side of things, you are a partner at a business management consulting firm called Lighthouse Nine Groove. Tell me about how you made your way into that field and a little bit about what it means to be a business management consultant. Yeah, well, it's interesting because if I think anyone had said to me, you know, do you want to be a consultant? I would have ran in the other direction. And coming from the corporate world, I had quite a negative, I think, perception of what a consultant really did. And it wasn't something I aspired to do. I knew I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I always wanted to run my own business. And that's, in fact, a little bit where I started. Um, and I was connected very much from the people who worked at Lighthouse Nine because we're a small boutique consulting and we come from different walks of life. And what I quickly learned in working with them is they work very much in a facilitated approach. It's not an expert consultancy where we come in and we say, we know your business. We know what you have to do. Here's a big giant deck that we used to call, you know, thump weight of, of recommendations and now we'll be on our way. So I like the fact that I, our clients tend to be long-term. We walk in there with a, an area of let's discover, you know, what's happening in your business and, and whatever it is because we have different levels of expertise and areas of focus, if I can't solve your problem, there's probably somebody I know that can, because we 
we come together as some, some from the HR side, some more from sales and marketing side, you know, some, all of us with the senior level experience. So it's a really nice balance. It's a really nice way to be able to meet the needs of the corporate world with different levels of expertise and different abilities to kind of connect with, with our clients. And do you serve certain sectors or industries or is it sort of all across the map? It really is all across the map. And the one thing I've been doing more recently is even, even taking that focus and a lot of the work I've done in the corporate space, and it can be, you know, super big, big companies like Campbell's or Phillips. And I've done work with both of them, for example, or, or there's small startups with two men, you know, who are, who are the sole owners of the business and their HR person also works the front desk. So I've worked with really small companies even solopreneurs at this point and, uh, and big corporations. And it's interesting because of course there's different challenges, but there's also similar challenges, right? It's still that it's always that point usually of pivot and transition. So if you are a small guy sort of going to the next level, there's going to be new challenges in finding that next step. And if you're a big corporation, you're going to have challenges again, when you're trying to transform and keep on top of, of what's happening in your marketplace. So it's, I find it really fascinating to work in different industries. You know, one day I'm working with a client who makes toilet partitions for, for buildings. And another day I'm working with a, veter- a veterinarian. And, and so it's, it's really quite neat to have such a variety because you're starting from a place of what is the problem you're trying to solve and the transformation you're trying to create. Now your expertise, as I understand it, is in something called organizational accountability. I practice saying that, so it would come out right the well, first yeah, time. Yeah, lots of syllables, right? Right, <laughs> even though it's a lot of syllables. So explain a little bit what that means. Yeah, it's one of those words when you throw out the word accountability. It's like that can mean so many different things. It's kind of like saying digital transformation. What the heck does that actually mean? And, I, and I've done a lot to sort of study what it actually means because you can boil it down to some fairly simple practices, but the execution of it may not be. And for me, it's about common, creating common objectives. So accountability means we're all on the same page. We're all aligned to the same purpose. We're clear about those expectations. And I, I have ownership. And as a leader, I'm, I'm empowering others to take ownerships and deliver on our commitments. That's the essence of it. I think a lot of times in organizations, we struggle to get our teams to maybe feel comfortable in having those difficult conversations to say, hey, this isn't doing what I need, or I can't articulate what I truly need, or I'm not bringing people along with me. And so it's about setting up those systems and building that skill set to do that, which means, you know, what, what can you do to actually make sure everyone knows the same expectations? What measures, what KPIs do we have that are truly measuring the behavior we want to create? What skills and, you know, what, how do I have a conversation when something's going off the rails? And I don't think that's just a leadership issue either. I think that's a team thing. And my, my goal and accountability is to get everybody to be able to have those difficult conversations. It's one of the reasons I, I loved the concept of your podcast, because I think it's so important and we shy away from those too often. We don't have the difficult conversations and accountability is all about having people feel like they have ownership, but when they're falling, you know, when it's not coming together as you have agreed to, then you need to be able to say, hey, this isn't what I expected. What did you expect? Have the dialogue, have the conversation, hold them accountable to it. Yeah, I can imagine when it comes to organizational accountability, communications is 
really at the heart of it, because if you don't have effective communication, how can you either organize or be accountable, right? So it comes into play in both ways. So talk about having difficult conversations. Tell me a little bit about more what that means. What are some examples of those kinds of conversations that can take place in your working with clients? Yeah, I think a lot of that is, and I think it's even harder these days. So if I think about the fact that, you know, we're in this hybrid world, so more people are obviously working virtually than before. And the other thing with talent now being a concern, I think there's a real fear of managers to one overburden people. So like, okay, I don't want, you know, do I, I don't want to give more of them to, you know, put more on them because people are already stressed out or I don't want to lose them. And I think the other thing is too, you know, maybe I don't want to call them on something they're not doing, or I don't know how to approach it, or if I do it, they're not going to like me, or they're not going to do the work anyway. So it's it's a definitely it's a leadership sort of down difficult conversation in terms of if you're not performing or doing what I need, that's a difficult conversation. I think again, just the other thing is how teams talk to one another because if you're having struggles with with a team member, somebody you work with, I think our natural tendency is to avoid that conflict. And I truly believe we need more conflict so that we can have less conflict. And that means having difficult conversations. And I say it's sometimes it's more important to be kind than nice, meaning it's actually better to be able to share what you're, you know, what you're thinking in, in a respectful way. I think people have to just feel comfortable that uh, about why they're doing that. If you don't mind, let's get a little specific. So you mentioned first when it comes to top-down communication a couple of situations. One, where a manager may be reluctant to assign additional work to someone for fear of overburdening them, stressing them out. And as you say, in this the world we live in today where talent is can move quickly and there are a lot of opportunities, you need to worry about that. But let's say I'm a manager and I have something I, I need you to, to do. I need it done regardless of what your workload may be otherwise. How do I approach that conversation? So the model I often teach is based on, if you've heard of SBI, and I cannot for my life of me remember who wrote it because I've used it for so many times, but it's, I actually use a build-on of that. And I add an extra acronym just to make it more difficult. And it's ISBIQ, which no one will remember. But if I explain it, it, it starts with the I, which is what are the intentions? So why am I talking to you about this? Why is it important? That's connecting to the greater purpose. So for your example, you know, I know I want you to do this. Well, why is it important I'm coming to talk to you? So this is really affecting the team. And then the, the S as part of that becomes what's the actual situation. So the feedback that you need to provide is very specific to a situation because what often happens when we have difficult conversations is there's that emotion tied to it. There's the judgment tied to it, right? I'm feeling like you're not doing it. So maybe you're, you're not really engaged or maybe you're not, maybe you don't respect me as a manager. Those are the assumptions we're making. So when I teach people to give feedback in difficult conversations, I'm saying start with why you're having the conversation, be specific about the example that you want and the behavior that you're observing, which is the B part. And the I is actually then what's the impact. So by not doing this, you know, it's actually causing some challenges down the road or it's causing a challenge with me, or it might actually be, you know, it doesn't look good on you, whatever the impact is, be clear about that. And then, and then have the dialogue. So what's happening or what, you know, and so I think, if we, always, if, we, if we almost prepare before having those difficult conversations and take the emotion out and be really clear about an example that we know is going to, is not going to be like you did this and this and this and this. I'm going to stay to an example. I'm going to tell you why it's important. And I'm going to be clear about what the impact is. That will help align the expectations. The other things I say to managers is you need to be doing that not just when you're not getting what you need. 
you need to be providing feedback on an ongoing basis. So maybe you have a meeting and you give them a quick call afterwards and you can use that same model. You know what, I'm calling you because I thought you did a really great job at that, at whatever it is. You know, I thought you spoke up well at the meeting and you know, I think the situation, and you can reinforce that. You can say, you know, the impact was, I think the team was really engaged. So that model actually works for both positive and negative feedback. And if you know your, your manager's coming to you and sort of every time there's something negative, you're gonna be like, ah, oh, okay, I'm ready for it again. Here's what's, you know, here it goes and you're gonna tune out. But the more often managers engage and provide feedback, both positive and corrective, the, the more successful they're going to be about having those difficult conversations more often. So making habit of having uh, nice conversations, if we can put it that way, will help when it comes time to have a difficult conversation because the person will be more open to what you have to say and perhaps less defensive because they've gotten praise and other ways. And so it's not only when the boss appears in your doorway, as you point out, you just go into a crunch because you're afraid of what's coming next. Exactly. You know that that, that you're going to get both positive and negative and, I, and, and giving that to others as well. You know, a lot of times people teach the hamburger model of feedback. I don't know if you heard that. I learned that when I was, which is, I'm going to tell you what's good. Then mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you what's bad. Then I'm going to tell you what's good again. But it really, it's, it's really a shit chance. It's a shit <laughs> sandwich. Because you're like, I just know you're just masking it in the good stuff. It's not meaningful. And so I always say, if you've learned that model of feedback, stop it. Because it's, 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 not, it's not authentic, right? And it's not specific enough. And it's, it's actually, you're probably only going to hear the negative bit when someone wraps it in, in all this positive stuff. So only, you know, share with me when something's positive. Wonderful. Share me when, so when something doesn't go well. The other really great thing you can do, obviously, as a manager and, and for people who um, maybe want to want to share is ask for feedback yourself. Obviously, the more you say, hey, what went well there? Or did I get you what you needed? Then at role models, people will start to do the same thing. And it makes it easier to have those difficult conversations because you know you're, there's a willingness to share that information. And another word you used was uh, prepare, which is something that I emphasize uh, in this podcast, in the book on which this podcast is based, in my work professionally. It's any difficult conversation, whether you're speaking one-on-one -on -one or you have to deliver bad news to a community uh, in a high school auditorium, it is a performance like any other, singing, dancing, acting, playing professional sports. And the more you rehearse, the more you prepare, uh, the better you're going to do. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think too often we let things bubble up in difficult conversations and then you burst a little bit with all the things that are wrong. And when you get to a bursting moment, that, that's, that's not going to be a good conversation at all. And one of the things that I emphasize, and the field that I specialize in is called risk communication. It comes into play when people are upset or worried or suspicious or angry, and their defenses are up, and they're thinking with their emotional brains, if you will. In those situations, what I call nonverbal messages are highlighted. So it's less even what you say than how you say it, how it's presented, in what format you're in. And I'm curious to know if any of that comes into play in the counsel you give. You yeah, know, definitely. The, the nonverbals, as you say, are so is so important. And of course, as you know, even more difficult when you're virtual because you, you have to really pay attention to the body language. And even more so if you're on the phone or you get an email and you're trying to get the context behind it. So that's certainly one thing I encourage is 
is if you're having those difficult conversations, obviously face-to-face, which is sometimes feels really hard for people because that's so personal, uh, or even camera to camera, which is still better than pick up the phone or drop an email because there's so much you can read in to that nuance. But yeah, I totally agree with you that that's knowing the context of the conversation, the state of mind that they're potentially in, because it's easy to walk into something, but maybe that wasn't the right time. Maybe they just had something else happen at home or another frustrating environment. So understanding that, recognizing those signs of stress, I, I do teach kind of how to manage those negative reactions and recognizing, you know, if someone, because a lot of times people will respond with indifference and they'll say, yep, I get it. I get it. You're like, okay, that I, I they don't actually get it. So recognizing the, the tone, obviously uh, in that, uh, or if they're angry and how to, how, how to handle those, those extreme reactions and what to say to maybe diffuse it or to how to allow time between it, if that's required. So I totally agree with you. All those pieces are really important than, than just what you say. Can I ask you to elaborate a little bit on what you would counsel someone who would start a difficult conversation that, for lack of a better phrase, sort of goes downhill quickly, where the person either gets very angry or, or upset, you know, even emotional? What can people do to, to manage that kind of a situation? Yeah. Well, and the one thing I caution people is always about balance for me is you got to be careful if you're trying to kind of talk to somebody about expectations and their reaction lets them off the hook. So it's not to say, you know, you want to be very uh, cautious of how they're reacting, conscious of it. So if someone is acting very angry, it may not be the right time, but that doesn't mean you are temptation or, or emotional, right? If someone starts crying, it's very easy to go, oh, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. And you, and you kind of back away from the situation or if they get angry, you're like, just walk away or you retaliate because you're angry yourself and your own endorphins kick in. So I think it's one recognizing the kind of reaction they're having. And if it's a point where it is an anger moment, then it's like, okay, you know what, this might, maybe this isn't the best time. When should we talk about this? It's still a really important conversation to have. And if they're crying, for example, it might be, I can see that this is upsetting, upsetting to you, maybe share a little bit about what, what's happening there or take some time to compose yourself. So I think it's obviously respectfully acknowledging the emotion and not just ignoring it. But it's also not kind of backing away, which I think sometimes is our own temptation, because then you've inadvertently sort of reinforced that that reaction will is okay. And, you know, it means what you the behavior itself doesn't need to be addressed, which isn't true. So I think that's what I try to counsel on is step back, recognize it. Maybe your words will have to change depending on it. Maybe there will have to be space or time. Maybe you guide them to, to have some time or talk to somebody else or whatever it is if they need the space. It's got to be about safety still. So it seems that many of the rules that we at least attempt to abide by in our personal communication with friends, family, uh, significant others, uh, you need to bring those into the workplace and use the same ones, the good ones, not the, not the bad ones. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think there's, there's definitely some similarities, right? I think it's just it's about acknowledging and be respectful of each other as human beings. Right. And I think one of the important ones is, as you said, if somebody becomes angry or upset, don't be angry or upset back. You, you have to sort of maintain that, I don't want to say lack of emotion, but a more of a professional demeanor in the workplace in yeah, those situations. Yeah. And you might need to take space yourself. I think I've, I've learned that, right? You might, my trigger might be, you're being, you're not, you know, you're not listening to me. It, maybe if they are actually being very dismissive or, you know, you can tell they're not really hearing you and you're starting to bubble up and get angry. It might not be they need space. It might be that you do. 
So, okay, I, I know I'm going to a bad place here. I need to take a breath because I'm not going to react in the right way. And so we've been talking to this point about conversations between a boss and an employee. Yeah. Um, so the power, there's a power dynamic there, a different power dynamic than, say, within a group of peers who have come together to engage in a task. And you mentioned that that's a big part of organizational uh, accountability is peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer. So are there different rules that apply there than would apply, say, when a a boss has to have a difficult conversation with an employee, or, or is it primarily the same rules that apply? I, I think there's probably similar rules, uh, but there's other things I think you can also do. I, in some ways, I, I'm, I'm not sure which is more difficult. I mean, some, it's very hard. I think one of the hard things to do, obviously, is give feedback up, up to your manager because you're always worried about the ramifications. I think it's a little bit easier to give feedback down. And I think when you're giving feedback to your peers, particularly people that you respect and like, in fact, it's, it's harder because you don't want to damage that relationship. And I'll, and I'll share something that's a more recent learning for me. It's a strategy that I kind of bumped into. I, I tried it myself in a situation where, where I had a conflict and I'm like, this is a good thing I should be telling the other people about. Um, and it was, a, and so it was a situation where, so I said at Lighthouse 9, we're all, we're all partners and we bring each other into different projects, right? That's kind of our model as a business model. And there was a particular project where I wasn't brought in um, and somebody else was. And, and it just kind of happens organically. Usually someone has a particular expertise. But in this situation, I was like, I think it, I'm not sure why they brought that person in and not me. Like this is the kind of area that I've spent time in before. I don't think that other person has the time. And I was kind of stewing about it. I was kind of annoyed about it and thought that because I even considered you know, what, you know, why, why did this person get it instead of me? And I, and then I just sort of stopped myself. And I, and I did have a lot of respect for this partner who's brought me in before. So it wasn't that I, I questioned their expertise or, but I thought, why, like something seems unfair here. And it was bothering me. And it was kind of, it was kind of flowing into other areas of our relationship. I didn't like that either. So I actually called them up and I said, I, I just, I have some assumptions. I think I have some assumptions that I want to share with you. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I think this is going to be good for our, like, it's bothering me. And so I'd rather just talk about it. And then I, I said, like, I, I felt like I was right for this. And the other person didn't have the time and didn't have the same expertise. And they basically said, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Actually, you know, one, the person had, had initiated this project. So it made sense for them to be a part of it. And two, you know, they, uh, they in fact have done this. Before. I'm like, oh, okay. That makes sense. And I even kind of started it by saying, I don't expect you to change your decision. I'm not coming at you saying, you know, push them out, bring me in. No way am I close to suggesting that, but it's bugging me. So when we had that conversation, I was like, okay. And it just cleared everything. And so I was like, it was, it was a really scary thing to do. I was like, I don't want to feel like I'm complaining. I don't want to feel like I'm saying it should be me and it'll pick me, pick me really felt uncomfortable. But I realized in doing it, I'm like, I declared my assumptions and I said that I think there's assumptions, even though I really still believe them. <laughs> I didn't actually believe them to be assumptions, but I declared them as such. And, and that, that instantly wiped out all the stewing I was doing, you know, and they actually said, thank you for telling me, as opposed to just getting irritated, because <laughs> that can happen in teams. And so I think it's, again, it's a really, it was a really scary thing to do. And I'm not sure that I can say it's easy for people to do that, but if you can pause and go, am I making assumptions here? Is am I, everything I'm thinking really true? Um, and you can be able to declare them. I think it's really, really powerful. If I can get more people to do that, I, I would be so happy. So don't let 
bad feelings fester. Uh, be open and honest, which is one of the sort of core tenets of risk communication. Uh, you know, let yes. people know how you feel and try to clear the air on things because otherwise it's just going to continue to make things worse. Exactly. But, and I think sometimes we, we forget that because we get in this mindset of like, it won't matter anyway. And, you know, what's it going to do? And I think if you just step back and go, well, if, if nothing else, it's going to make me feel better or realize that I was right. One of the two. So I'm just going to go and, and say what I'm going to say and who knows what can come of it. Okay. So we've covered employee-employer conversations. We've covered peer conversations. Let me take you to one last area that's near and dear to my heart. As a fellow consultant, I imagine that in your job, you work with clients from time to time that may be resistant to some of the advice or recommendations that you're sharing with them. What skills and techniques do you turn to then to uh, get them to see your way of things? Yeah, I think it, it it's very much about trust and intention, right? I, I do actually see my job as telling leaders maybe or helping leaders discover how they can be better, right? So I, I think and we have a principle at Lighthouse 9 to, to do what's right. And sometimes that means telling people that their approach or the way they're going about it might not be the right, right thing. But, but, the, but my coaching skills also have taught me that it's much better for them to come to that place on their own. Mm. So I, the technique, I'd say primarily, or the way I try to do that, one, you have to build trust. So it comes back to my intentions you know, in bringing this up are... I want you to be successful or I want this project to work out for you or whatever it is. And then questioning kind of what they're hoping to achieve and what they think's working and what kind of feedback and, and hopefully you're drawing them out of it. Um, and you're, and then you're able to challenge some of their thinking. And if they have some level of self-awareness, they get there usually, and the questions help them get there. That doesn't always happen. I'm sure you've come in situations where you're consulting somebody at the end of the day, they're just not not buying what you're selling and uh, they're just not convinced and and there's not much you can do I think at that point my, you know my goal is to always state say what I you know if, if they don't get there on their own then I will potentially say can I share something with you that I think will help you and they might still dis disregard that and never hire me again and that's okay too because it, they, they're probably you know I want to make sure the people that they're working with are getting the best leader and if they're doing things that are, they're, are extremely, you know, I think potentially harmful and I, and I, they, they haven't got to that point, then I'm okay if they walk away as well. It doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often, <laughs> thankfully. Right. Yeah, I often think that I know I've done a good job if my client believes that he or she has come up with the idea or the right path forward. So it's it's our job as consultants to lead them in, in the direction we think they should go, uh, but not force them to adopt change uh, that they may otherwise be resistant to. If they think it's their idea, more, more likely that they're going to <laughs> It works a lot better, it. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand that you also speak frequently. And I know a lot of my listeners are uh, nervous about public speaking, as so many people are. And that's certainly an area where I spend a good deal of my time is helping to coach uh, people who are need to give uh, speeches or presentations. So I thought I would ask, based on your own experience and maybe in working with clients also, what, uh, what advice would you have for anyone who's looking to brush up on their presentation skills? Yeah, and I think it's interesting because whether you're you're on a stage or in a meeting and you're nervous about speaking, the, the skills have some similarity as you kind of alluded to before. It's when you're having difficult conversations, it's a performance. And it, it's a little bit of understanding your body language. I think it's about being aware of how you're coming across. 
I know, for example, for myself, I talk quickly. You may have already noticed that. And it's about trying to remember to pause and slow down and allow time for reflection. And I think, but I think one of the key things is being really clear about your audience and what they're, what they're expecting out of that communication. Again, whether it's on the meeting or on a stage, if you're starting from a point of who am I talking to, what is my main message and how do I connect those things? And then of course, on a, on a stage or even a meeting, how do you quickly get their attention? And one of the things I, I teach in, in selling skills, because I think salespeople, especially newer salespeople, do this quite poorly when they walk into a customer and they talk about themselves and always start from a place of, of them, right? Always start from a, from a place of what are they looking for as your audience and how do you make sure that that brings them in before you ever talk about what you, you know, about you. And that is, I think, a strong sales skill, a strong presentation skill. It's a strong skill in terms of, uh, of difficult conversations. Start from a place of them versus you. Even when you walk on stage, if it's a big audience, you're not saying, hi, I'm Christy Scarrow and I'm here to, no, start, start in your message, start strong and hook them in into what you're there for, I think is, is for me the big, the big uh, insights I can share. I may have shared this story before with my audience, but I'll repeat it because I think it's relevant. I have a, a former boss and a mentor who liked to tell the story about a conference that he attended and it was one speaker after another. And there would be a couple of minutes while they loaded up their PowerPoint presentation and the person would launch into their speech and you know, the slides would be flipping. And before you knew it, everybody's head was down looking at their phones, checking their email or their texts or what have you. Until after seven or eight speakers, the next one got up and just came to the center of the stage and said, I don't have a PowerPoint presentation to give. Instead, I'd just like to tell you a story. And he said, every head in the room popped up to pay attention to what the speaker had to say. And I think in, in our, I think in your business as well as mine, ultimately it really is about telling a story, uh, telling a good story well. And if you can do that, you will capture people's attention um, in any situation, but particularly when you're uh, presenting to a large group. I, I totally agree. And I, I think that's a lesson I've had, I've had to learn and get better at. Because, um, you know, I think I came from a place of I want to share the knowledge and I do a lot of webinars as well. And, uh, you know, now I, al I always start with engaging them. And then I always weave stories into each of the lessons because I know what you're saying. It's, it's very powerful if you can bring it to light with something with something else besides just and now do this and now do this. And, and I've had to, I think, learn that skill and continue to, de to develop that skill as I go as well. This has just been a fascinating conversation. I haven't had a guest in a long time who has experience and does work in, in a field that's so appropriate for, for the topic of this podcast. So everything you've said has just been incredibly helpful, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention that in addition to being a partner at Lighthouse 9 and a specialist in organizational accountability, you are also an author of a book called Truth Warriors. Now tell me what prompted you to write the book? Yeah, no, thank you for asking, because it was definitely a labor of love and something that came to light uh, during COVID, actually, because uh, uh, I'm sure you might have felt a, a little bit nervous as a consultant yourself when March of 2020 hit. I wasn't sure where our work would go. As it turns out, it went quite nicely virtually. But uh, at the time, I thought now is the time to write a book. And I was always really compelled. Um, you know, what, what was one of the drivers behind it is this idea of our our division of opinions, you just, you know, you see it in politics, you see it, you're seeing it now with 
the vaccinations and the pandemic, and that wasn't even in full force when I wrote the book. Well, it was starting, but not to the same level. So, so many polarized opinions. And, I, and when I thought about difficult conversations and accountability and the things I'm passionate about, like how do we get people to understand one another better? That's for me the essence and the purpose behind the book. I mean, it's, it's called Truth Warriors, the battle to hear, be heard, and make decisions that count. So it's all about how do we get to how do we get to a place of understanding one another better, doing better listening, you know, suspending our own beliefs for a minute so that we can can ask better questions. And it shares my some of my personal stories and and some uh, I interviewed a number of leaders as part of that to say like what does it look like for you? And it kind of brings together these concepts of decision making and conflict with the whole purpose of how do we make better decisions and become better connected in, in the work in, in our world. That was ultimately what I did. So thank you for asking about it because it's uh, definitely a passion for me. Just got published uh, in April of last year. Well, congratulations. And I'm sure anyone who's listened to this would love to pick that up and learn more about your approach and your experience and, and your advice when it comes to being better communicators, but also generally uh, just being better professionals. So where can we find your book? Uh, well, you can definitely find it on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. If you go to my website, I wouldn't, this is actually not Lighthouse 9, so I've got a website specific to Truth Warriors. And it's truthwarriors.ca. So that's the Canadian version. Um, there's a spot where you can get the, download the book uh, as an ebook or as well. Uh, I have it in audio. So if you prefer audiobooks at this point, then it's also available there. Okay, well, terrific. I will include uh, all that information in the show notes. So anybody who's interested can, can go and find it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, Christy, I, I appreciate your coming on. As I said, it really is nice to, to talk to somebody who lives in almost the same space as I do. And you had a lot of just fantastic and very practical advice uh, for the folks who listen to this podcast uh, that they can take back and incorporate into their both professional and personal lives. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Len. It was great to get to know you and I appreciate the work you're doing as well. Well, thank you. As always, thank you to Jim Cirillo of jimmyandgroup.com for our original music and to Rachel Greenberger for our original art. If you have any thoughts or ideas for topics you'd like us to cover or questions you'd like to ask, please send an email to wtswtgt at gmail.com. Please follow us on Twitter at hashtag WTSWTGT. And if you like the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, always be positive.